In the 90s, movies about people discovering life, love, and themselves in their 20s, accompanied by soundtracks that defined the generation, captured the zeitgeist of their time. Could history repeat itself in 2005? I remember the music of that era. We might be in trouble. Let's sit back as we attempt to discover if undiscovered is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And we are taking a trip down our old DVD lane as we are talking about 2005's Undiscovered. And joining me, as always, is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. Uh, Before we do actually get to talking about this movie, we have an announcement to make because we now have a website. You can actually go visit us at www.notthatbadcast.com. There you'll be able to catch up with all of our past episodes. We're also going to start doing some blog entries, uh, maybe write up some articles. We're going to have a lot of fun over there and maybe some... Somewhere down the road, there may be merchandise, but... Still waiting on my very (laughs) carry movie sweatshirt. All in due time. Make it happen. (laughs) Make Make it it happen. But be sure to visit us over at notthatbadcast.com. Would love to hear from you guys. Uh, So now we're talking about 2005's Undiscovered. And I think you have to admit... To the world, my dear love. <laughs> I knew this was coming. That you happen to have not one, not two, but I'm pretty sure you have all three Ashley Simpson CDs. Yeah. Um, sure do. So as we you know, kind of decided that we were going to go down this road, did you actually go back and listen to those, the, uh, to those CDs? Well... It was only 48 hours ago and <laughs> no, I didn't, uh, I didn't invest the time. I have to admit, but, um, I, I did remember just how badass her hair and that cute little hat were. And <laughs> I, I'm feeling motivated. I think I might flat iron my hair and maybe cut some bangs. I do have to say though. Stop I, I, me. As, as <laughs> Somebody I was, stop me. As I was doing research for this, uh, apparently Ashley Simpson got back up on stage last year at a Demi Lovato concert and did a version of La La on stage with Demi Lovato. So apparently Ashley Simpson might be back. It'd be kind of cool. Oh, come back. Make a comeback. I'm waiting for album number four. <laughs> I don't know if there is a fourth. I think there might be a fourth album, but I know at least the th- the first three you have. Oh, I would have to probably check out the... There's a Spotify deep dive you know, yeah. in, in, your, in your future, I think, at this point. Uh, but before we talk about 2005's Undiscovered, we need to take this Ashley Simpson film and trailerize it. She sung her way out of the shadow of her older sister. She danced her way out of an embarrassing situation on Saturday Night Live. And there was nowhere to hide at the Orange Bowl. Now, Ashley Simpson hits the big screen in Undiscovered. A movie where all the big talented names play supporting roles to characters you'd swear were based on aspects of Ashley Simpson's life. Like Luke Falcon, the dark-haired singer-songwriter sibling of a lighter-haired, more popular singer who crumbles when the spotlight is finally shone on them. Then there's Briar, the sweet girl who goes to L.A. to be an actor and gets to do everything based on her agent and connections. It's as if MTV took the Ashley Simpson show and turned it into a made-for-TV movie on the CW. It's Simpson Inception on the big screen in Undiscovered. Rated PG-13 for post-Gen X. (laughs) Wow. You have this look like that was harsh. It was harsh. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I have been a big Simpson supporter um, for the longest time. You know, love Jessica, love Ashley. 
Okay, Joe, come on. (laughs) Admittedly, admittedly, we may actually have a newlyweds bought, you know, a DVD set or two. We we know we have, we've admitted to the Ashley Simpson CDs. And And I will say that actually Ashley Simpson CDs actually aren't that bad um if this was a music podcast we'd be talking about her cds and it's not that bad um but it wasn't it wasn't an easy time for her around then though because yes there was the infamous saturday night live you know dance a jig episode there was her getting booed horrendously at the orange bowl like it was this was a rough time for her not gonna lie but now that we've broken it down, it's time to get to, to build it back up. But first, let's get through the breakdown here. Uh, this movie stars Pell James, who was actually in Fanboys as one of the escorts. So we're having almost like our own little, it's not that bad inception. Full circle. And the funny thing is, she joined Ashley Simpson in yet another movie after this one came out in the movie Pawn Shop Chronicles. Uh, Stephen Strait, who played Luke Falcon, uh, he, uh, probably better known as Jim Holden in The Expanse. Of course, there's Ashley Simpson, Kip Pardue, who was in Driven, which we've done that movie on this podcast as well. You also have Shannon Sossaman, uh, Fisher Stevens, Stephen Moyer, who of course we know him as Bill Compton in True Blood, and of course, Robocop and Princess Leia. I mean, Peter Weller and Carrie Fisher. This movie, however, was almost not called Undiscovered. The movie was almost called Wannabe. And I hate to say it, they picked the better title with Undiscovered. Uh, this movie, this is where it gets fascinating. Okay. This movie was written by John Galt. And as I'm doing my research, you know, just a cursory thing, it's like, okay, this would be the only movie he's ever written. And I'm like, okay, maybe he's written books or something like that. There. To my knowledge, is not a real John Galt. <gasps> Ghostwriter. I think I think nom de plume, if you will. I think this might be one of those uh, Alan Smithy kind of things because it was Joe Simpson. <laughs> you never know. Dun dun dun. You never know. But here's the thing: John Galt uh, was actually the name of a Scottish author born in 1779. Uh, he's also the character name in Atlas Shrugged, as written by Ayn Rand. So I don't know if John Galt is the real name of the writer on this one. This might be an Alan Smithy. I am very intrigued by this. So we need to know who actually wrote the damn movie. Um, But it's funny you mentioned Joe Simpson, though. The role of Ashley Simpson's character in this was apparently supposed to be lesbian. But then Joe Simpson said, yeah, I don't think so. Which actually makes a lot of the dialogue in the movie make sense now. Because there's a lot of allusions to, you know, you know, why, why don't you two ever get together? Oh, it's complicated. Well, how complicated is it? Well, that would explain why it's complicated. Well, I mean, yeah, looking back and, and just learning that little tidbit of information. But I don't know. I kind of think it, it didn't need to be, it didn't like need to be made obvious. No, you didn't. You didn't need to. I, I think... I think her character was fine as is. Um, I think she was just the quintessential, like, amazing best friend that every, you know, person wants to have. Right? Totally supportive and... Who was a um, better singer than the singer that they helped actually get a record deal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just just putting it out there. Uh, This film was directed by Myert Avis. Uh, This was the second and last movie that that he directed. That's it. There was this, and there was a movie called Far From Home in 1989 that starred Drew Barrymore and Matt Frewer. Matt Frewer, of course, probably best known as Max Hedrum. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Right? Drew Barrymore and Max Hedrum in a movie together. Uh, Is that on our radar? Should we check that out next? I don't know. But here's the thing. Uh, Myron Avis is actually a very accomplished music video director. Let, let me go through just so, a list of some of the bands that he has worked with here. Uh, the Pretty Reckless, Evanescence, Bush, Chris Cornell. He did the music video for Forever by Papa Roach. Uh, he's worked with Seether. He did the, uh, the video for The Gift and the uh, the acoustic 
DVD that they put out, One Cold Night. He's worked with Avril Lavigne, Alanis Morissette, lots of YouTube videos, Van Halen, and Bruce Springsteen. So to say that Myron Avis is a very accomplished director is selling him very, very, very short. Respect. Remember that, when MTV used to play music videos? Oh, right. Remember when much music used to play music oh, videos? Back in the day. Remember when music videos actually meant something? Remember when they're... Yeah. Yeah. Like, when was the last music video that uh, you've watched? Uh, Truly. I mean, the last, okay, the last conceptual music video that I've ever watched, that, that one's hard to say, right? Because a lot of it now is just band in studio or just compilation of live footage. And I'll admit that I, I do still watch music videos on YouTube uh, when a band puts it out, but more often than not, it's just a compilation of live footage from, you know, random person with a DSLR that, that follows them around on tour, which I love a live music video, but I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, some of the coolest visuals have come from music video directors. And I think Myron Avis actually brought a very, very cool cinematography to this movie. Like, the, full credit to him. Like, the, the, the directing was not the problem at all in this film. However. I have an issue. You have, oh, okay. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. At the 26th annual Razzies, Ashley Simpson was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. Oh, why? She lost to Paris Hilton. In the movie House of Wax, but also nominated that year in the same category was Jessica Simpson for the Dukes of Hazard. <gasps> now that's that's cold. She was so <laughs> no no no. She was perfect. I, As I Daisy Duke, she was perfect. Okay, she completely understood the assignment. But I mean, I think you need to actually put this out there. Was is do you think some of the 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 hate that this movie gets from critics is basically because 2005 was total Simpson overload. Do you know what? I was going to say that. I think they were just kind of attacking that entire year and that entire genre of mm-hmm. the, um, like the, the, oh, there's a name for it, a, a, a genre, but the reality TV show and yeah. series, right? Because uh, there was Nick and Jessica newlyweds Mm -hmm. there was the um, ashley simpson show exactly and um gene simmons family jewels well yeah and i was also gonna say um completely blanking here well i mean real world road rules like basically anything mtv put out at that time was focusing on you know celebrities oh the osbournes had theirs as well no the the paris hilton show though Oh, oh! I uh, the, with, uh, the 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 simple life. Yeah, the simple life. That's, That's what it was. It. Yeah, yes. with, yeah, with her and um, Nicole Richie. Nicole Richie, exactly. Also have those DVDs. <sighs> yeah, we, we every season we have a shameful collection of I'm, DVDs. I'm not here. ashamed. <laughs> I would go back and watch from like episode one all the way through. I would binge watch that if I had the time on a weekend. You know that's what I would do. Okay, please let me know when you're going to do that, and that's when I'll go and watch some more music videos on YouTube. Uh, but also at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, this movie, uh, the whole movie got a dishonorable mention, but that's just like, they list like 40 movies. So that's whatever. But yes, nominated for worst song or song performance in a film or its end credits. Undiscovered was nominated, as was the song Smart in a Stupid Way. Both of those songs lost. To the eventual winner of that category, These Boots Are Made for Walking by Jessica Simpson from the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, we got Simpson overloaded in this podcast here as well. Uh, this film, however, at the box office did actually make some history, but not in the way you probably wanted to. The film had a budget of $9 million, so it's not a big thing, but worldwide, it grossed one. One million dollars. When it debuted on the August 26, 2005 weekend, it debuted at number 20. Way down the list with only $676,000 in box office. And that's with being in over 1,300 theaters. Like that, that's not good. That's not good. Just to give you an idea of, of movies that were debuting that weekend 
the Brothers Grimm debuted at number two with $15 million. The Cave debuted at number five with $6 million. And as I look down the list, that's it for debuts. The number one film of the, that week was the second week of The 40-Year-Old Virgin. But that's not the history that it made. This film, at the time, broke the record for the biggest second weekend drop in box office history. With, and here's the number here, an 86.4% drop while still being in wide release. That, that is basically being in, uh, I think it's uh, 600, like over 600 theaters. So it dropped. It only made $91,000 in its second week. The movie that it beat was Gigli. Yeah. Again, I wish this was a video podcast. <laughs> the look. The look. Wow. Right? But now, hear me out though, because there is a silver lining. Because Undiscovered no longer holds that title. It was beat by 2017's Collide, which stars Felicity Jones and Nicholas Holt. That movie lost more, uh, much more. Actually, I think it was like 88.5%. Now, there is an asterisk on this one, and we have to actually bring back a movie we talked about in a previous episode. Because... The biggest drop overall goes to the Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure. <laughs> we mentioned that film. I can't remember which episode we were we were we were talking about it, but I think it was oh, I can't even remember. But that movie dropped ninety point one percent in box office. Uh but it also went from 2,160 theaters in week one to only 281 theaters in its second week. So it drops out of wide release. It takes it out of the conversation. But yes, for the longest time, Undiscovered held the record for the biggest drop in second week as far as percentage goes, 86.4%. Ouch. The critics weren't kind either. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 29. And then over on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score sits at 48% and the critics score at 8. Wow. Single low. digits. Now, we talked about Simpson Overload here. But I'm going to put this out there before we actually get to talking about the actors themselves. There's a, a decent list of namer actors in this, none of them are in lead roles. Do you think that hurt this film by, I mean, again, going through the list, Ashley Simpson aside, Kip Pardue, Shannon Sossman, Carrie Fisher, Fisher Stevens, Stephen Moyer, Peter Weller, like that's a huge cast. That's a, that's a good cast. None of them in the lead role. Were you more interested in seeing the people in secondary characters as they popped up on screen? Yeah, I mean, I nearly lost my mind because I completely forgot that Carrie Fisher was in this until the rewatch, until watching it again. And it was just so nice to see her. Like, it was, like, I literally, like, I don't know, squealed. I was like, oh, <laughs> there she is. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, you know what? It, uh, it, I think it was just the perfect amount. It was just that little bit to look forward to when you're watching the storyline unfold. You know, every scene with Carrie Fisher, I'm like, she was just absolutely perfect. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's get to our breakdown here as to why this film actually isn't that bad. But we got to start with Stephen Strait, who, of course, plays Luke Falcon, like the singer in question that they tried to get him a record contract and tried to build him up, and it goes completely sideways. What were your thoughts on Stephen Strait? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? In the beginning, I was really rooting for him. And then, I don't know. By the ending, I kind of like, I just kind of lost all, not respect for him, but it was just kind of like, meh. Like, 
ah, I don't know. She could do so much better. Move on. <laughs> Just move on. I mean, I, I will admit that when we first meet Luke in New York, right? He's eagerly getting ready to head out to, to LA to have his music heard and all, and all of that. And I like the fact that they had him uh, working with, you know, with dogs and whatnot, probably at a shelter. It added a, a layer of, you know, humanity to Luke, you know, rather than just be this tortured artist trying to get his songs heard. You know, he's got a, you know, he's got a decent little gig playing regularly at a club, you know, I, I, I've played clubs where there's barely anyone there, so I get it. But I mean, once things start to roll, it's like, did, did, did you quit your job? Like all of a sudden, like who's look after the dog and everything. Well, his brother that, did. His uh, brother took the. I know, but everything dog. that made Luke likable in the first half of the film was completely thrown out of the window. And you turned this into a, a you know, a much darker tale with a character that all of a sudden we don't really give two craps about. Thank you so much for saying that because I honestly sat there thinking, is it just me? Like, I know that I have to defend this movie and defend this character and, I, and I, I'm really struggling at the end. And it's really nothing specifically that he did. It was just kind of like he turned unlikable like mm-hmm. it just he just inevitably seemed toxic and it's like eh, you just kind of are no longer rooting for his rise to fame yeah i mean you take a look at a movie like rockstar with mark Wahlberg and jennifer aniston and you you kind of felt for him right because let's be honest mark Wahlberg's character in that film isn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed Right. And he kind of gets caught up in the fame and the touring and you see, you know, how, you know, it affects everyone in his circle, like both him and Jennifer Aniston get into like, you know, a drug fueled orgy and whatever. And it kind of tears them apart and he loses his way and, you know, all of a sudden realizes in a situation that, you know, here he is singing with his favorite band of all time and they're not even going to let him you know, take any part of the writing process and that just basically sours the whole thing. You feel bad for Mark Wahlberg's character in Rockstar, right? There's still, despite the the trappings of rock and roll fame, there's still that, that, that eager young kid that just wants to be heard. Um, I can't believe I just defended Mark Wahlberg in a movie. But, you know, <laughs> here we are. Here, it's like, you feel no remorse for what happens to him. None. Whatsoever. Because clearly he's got a thing for Briar. But as soon as, you know, crazy sunglass Brazilian woman shows up, it's like, yep, okay, I'm going to go with her. And I'm like, okay, I don't care about you anymore. That, I think, was the, that was the breaking point where I was like, if you are so in love with with Briar like you should be with her and and stop at nothing yeah and then why are you just hooking up with this like I don't know lap kitten like yeah. really like really gold digger <laughs> hello Pantheon podcast listeners Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. 
I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. But let's talk about Briar, though, as played by Pell James. Here, here's where it comes to the opposite side, right? Briar is a model who's trying to be an actress. And she's getting these 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 modeling parts and commercials and doing doing her best. But there's still like the the small town girl about her kind of thing. Um, obviously, she's missing her mom, who has passed away. We assume kind of thing just from a conversation that she had with uh her agent carrie fisher um but how was briar for you yeah couldn't stand her really every every single time she was on the screen she was acting the model and flashing that pensive glare to the camera like i i did not feel bad for her whatsoever when they were together and then they broke up and you know what if she's holding on to some kind of flame or you know she was burnt once by a musician then why the hell is she like dragging him along like re- like, I, I, like i will say like and, and and this is not really anything against Pell James and and how she portrayed Briar. That there's there's a lot of work in this script that needs to be done by someone who apparently doesn't exist. Um, looking at you, fake John Galt. But the thing with Briar is that okay, I I understand her reluctance to get into anything with Luke, um, because yes, she's been burned by Mick, who apparently she's still with. I I, I get that aspect of it, but at some point. Briar's got to like nut up and drop the drop the douche. It was almost kind of like she didn't know what she wanted. Mm-hmm. She 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 liked him. She was quite smitten with him. Mm-hmm. Yet when she had her chance at him and to be with him, mm-hmm. uh, she was just pushing uh, Nick away. Luke. Luke. Yeah. She was just pushing Luke away. So like like why like. What, what's your gig, lady? Like, either you're in or you're out, but there's no in-between. And there was just too much cat and mouse between their their relationship. And I get that that was supposed to make you feel like, oh, you really want to see them together in the end. At the end of it, I was just like, I don't like any of these characters. <laughs> Except I, for Ashley. She's so cute. But I, I will say, you know, and I, I do appreciate that, right? Briar's the, you know, I like you, but I can't be with you, but I want to be with you, but I can't be with you. Luke's like, I want to be famous, but I don't want to be famous. I want my music to be heard, but I don't want to be, like. But it wasn't until he no longer wanted her that then she, yeah, you know, came around. It's like, no, sorry, sweetie. You had your chance. Move on. Exactly. Like, you're the one that shot it down. And then, yeah, like. Just get on the plane and go. But I, I will say the chemistry between her and Clea is played by Ashley Simpson. Those two, I think, played off each other very well. Yes. But again, I really think that was, um, you know, due respect to, to Ashley Simpson. I think she was just, like I said, the quintessential best friend. Mm-hmm. And I think had it been any other actress in Briar's role, it would have been the same dynamic. I, I don't know. I think cute hats off to Ashley Simpson. (laughs) I can already tell who your MVP is going to be. But that being said, um, the thing with Ashley Simpson's uh, Clea in this is that Briar seems to me to be someone who's very, not necessarily closed off, right? But just very work focused life. You know, there's zero work life balance here. Like she's there to try to get an acting career. All she knows is how to work kind of thing, how to model, how to try it to advance. But Clea kind of opens her up to have a little life, have a little fun kind of thing. Let's, you know, let, let, let's do something crazy and good for someone. Like Clea to me is the thing that makes Briar 
a decent person in this, but how was Ashley Simpson as Clea for you? I think I already know the answer, but <laughs> I think everybody knows the answer. She was she was awesome. And I absolutely loved and was, you know, silently applauding when she had her chance to duet. I absolutely loved the give and take um, when they were singing both of the songs. See, I, I'm, I'm going to argue on that one. I'm going to argue on that one here. First things first, I need to put this out there. As far as Ashley Simpson's songs go, I think Undiscovered might actually be my favorite of hers. It's a very, very good song. And, you know, say what you will about, you know, any Simpson, Jessica or Ashley and their music. Undiscovered is actually a pretty damn good song. I mean, there are actually like actor song singers kind of thing where they have songs out there. I'm like, no, actually, that's a pretty good song. Like, I, I can't remember what it was called, but I mean, Jennifer Love Hewitt had a decent song. There are some actually decent actor albums out there. And Undiscovered is a good song. That being said, and let's talk about this now, since how we're kind of going down that road. This is a film about self-discovery, about growing up, about, you know, the complicated life in your 20s. And there are a ton of movies that are kind of in that vain you know first ones that come to mind singles you know empire records um reality bites and say what you will about the movies themselves but those soundtracks are freaking iconic the singles one especially is one of the best soundtracks of the 90s in my opinion again i was just going to point out that they were all from a different decade really it, it was yeah it, it, if this film came out in the 90s i think it would have been better received because there seemed to be like a wave of those kind of films you know this comes out in the mtv reality show generation and as much as they kind of tease that a little bit with reality bites you know the thing is you have a movie about a singer songwriter making it big thanks to his friends and it goes downhill and the best song on in the movie is from the best friend and not the guy on stage that they're trying to get the record deal like i don't know about you but aside from the actual song undiscovered which is an ashley simpson song None of these songs are getting stuck in my head. None of them are getting played on Spotify. None of them are getting a spin on a CD player. None. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. I found myself like, I mean, there were a couple um, as, you know, he he rose to fame um, that I was like, yeah, okay, that's a pretty good song. Yeah, I I can see the progression. The This Is Living song is actually not that bad. Um, But all in all, Right. If you're going to compare this to a movie like Singles, the soundtracks are incomparable. Singles will wipe the floor with most other movie soundtracks. It'll be a draw between that one and The Crow. But this film maybe needed a better soundtrack. I think maybe comparing more the the music of this movie versus um, Rockstar. Yeah, but the thing is, though, Rockstar, even to me, Rockstar is still a better soundtrack. Hell, Josie and the Pussycats is a better soundtrack. Oh, that was a fun movie. That was such a fun movie, yes. But Rockstar, if we're going to use that comparison, those songs were written like to feel like the band that he's he's there. And they had some phenomenal musicians. I know there was a Brian Vander Ark from The Verve Pipe was in there, and you had, you know a number of really good musicians working on that soundtrack. This, again, the Ashley Simpson song is the best song. And if if memory serves, I don't even know if it was actually on the soundtrack, on the CD. Because, of course, it was on her album already. Mm -hmm. Uh, I digress. But Ashley Simpson to me in this is... (laughs) You do wonder why her and Luke never got together. Because, you know, the friendship between them, the, just the looks between the two of them on stage. I don't know. I disagree, though. I think, 
you know, they can be just really good friends and that's, that's it. There doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that romantic arc always. And I think it was almost kind of better. And, you know, at first, that first scene where he finally places Briar and he makes the announcement that he lost a glove. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, they're going to get together. And, you know, you're really rooting for them. But then again, it's it's like, I think Briar was the one that ruined that for me. I was like, okay, you had your chance. You're pushing him away for something he didn't even do mm-hmm. just because you had, you know, a bad experience. And first of all, did she ever actually break up with the other guy? Like, I don't know. Well, she eventually did, but that's like, you know, over an hour into the movie <laughs> when when he shows up and, and is just total douche. Yeah. Like, I mean, you see her pining over, she's wearing his gloves and and then, you know, that that look, that moment when they reconnect and you, you're really rooting for this to happen and then it's she finally just drops this bomb of, yeah, well, you're a musician. You know, I can't love you because you're a musician. What? <laughs> what? Uh, you, you were literally just like, like, eye-oogling him. Like, yeah. wh- why are you pushing him away now that you have your chance? He's a, he's a and- singer, songwriter, guitarist, penis. It's not like he's a drummer. No one ever goes for the drummer. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, oh, I know, I know. I'm a bassist. I have to. I have to get those digs somewhere, right? You guys know. You know. I. I got you. I got you. You went for the bassist. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing about I, I really liked about Clea is that there were times when you know she's getting dragged up on stage by Lou to to, to do it and whatnot, and she Ashley Simpson plays her very shy, very almost. You know, she's a good singer. She knows she's a good singer, but there's still that shyness that she needs to kind of get dragged up on stage, no matter how much Luke, you know, kind of you know pushes her up, kind of thing. So then, when it's time for her to actually sing by herself, you can almost see at the beginning, and I don't know if this is, you know, part of the cinematography, but there's it's almost you can see her kind of breaking into the shell to take that lead on stage so i mean it's subtle and i don't know if ashley simpson meant to do it or not but we're just going to say that she did and she pulled it off very well mm-hmm. i wanted to see her rise to fame mm-hmm. you know which i think it was kind of the situation right with uh freaking robocop at the end right Lo- lounge lizard robocop <laughs> oh. i love when he's like i'll call you Right. <laughs> that was so cute. Let's talk about Kip Pardue, though, uh, who played Ewan Falcon. Uh, so Luke's brother, the guy in the funk band. Uh, what were your thoughts on 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 Ewan Falcon? Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I you know what? I would have I would have loved and I would have applauded every moment of seeing his rise to fame to the same level. Um, yeah. No, he was great. That man's a rock star. <laughs> you and Falcon's he, a rock star. He was so much fun. Right? Like, you know what? He, I, I think, had it been a different brother, had he, you know, been the one in the place to rise to fame, I would have I would have loved the movie. I mean, there's the thing, right? You, you have the one scene where Luke goes to basically say that he's not going to show up to the party or something like that kind of thing. But then, you know, when, when Luke's down, you would basically says, no, 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 no. Come, come play with the, with my band tonight and have some fun. You can see Luke getting back to having fun again. And and that's the thing. Like, Ewan, I, I, he is. He's, he's just a free spirit, right? He's fun. He's lighthearted. He doesn't take things too seriously. Um, it's true. I, I wanted to know more about him. I, wa- I wanted that funk band to, to get big. I'd be down with that. Shannon Sossaman, who played Josie, the Brazilian model that's brought in to help get get, uh, get Luke noticed, and then basically uh, Yoko Ono's the crap out of everything. How was Shannon Sossaman for you? Well, if her intention was to come into the picture and be incredibly unlikable, and that moment where you just 
applaud where she gets kicked to the curb, um, then she t- she did it well. Mm-hmm. She did her job, you know. Um, yeah, like when I I might have missed something in the planning stage because when she turned up and she's like hanging all over Luke and and you know. Um, you mean at first? Yeah. So and, so the whole thing that what happened was like you know, they called up uh, Briar's agent to basically get this very well-known model kind of thing to show up have pictures taken with with luke and then have those on the you know on the internet and everyone's like well who's she hanging out with who's this singer songwriter that she's draping over and that's basically luke falcon gets famous for just being hung on to by this model yeah it's it's like if you served kim kardashian a plate of fries your picture would be in the who's the best fry deliverer out there kim looks so happy those must be the best fries yeah yeah the internet sucks um (laughs) but i mean it's true josie's not supposed to be liked at -hmm. all and she accomplished (laughs) um that task i mean yeah like as soon as she showed up i was like oh and then the relationship that they had, whether it was, you know, for show or not, it was like, oh, you just want her to disappear. And that's the thing. The, the fact that Josie and Garrett Schweck, the, 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 the manager of Tantra Records, um, seem to be kind of on the same level. If you're on the same level as the sleaze who runs the record company, you're probably not going to be a good person. But the thing is, if you didn't like Josie, then Shannon Sossman got the assignment right and she did her job very well so you know what bothered me about that whole angle so if Briar was a model in her own right and she had an agent Mm -hmm. why couldn't they just have like exposed or publicized their relationship in the beginning and thus creating his rise to fame. I I have a feeling that the thing, the reason Briar didn't do it herself is because she's not a model of that level, right? But it might have helped her as well. But the thing is, if the goal was to get Luke noticed by the internet, then it had to be someone who, already, who was already at that meteoric level of um, people become famous through proximity. And Briar, Briar is proven to not be that person because she's sitting there at acting class and people are guessing at what she's doing. Not like, Oh, Hey, I saw you in this, right? It's Briar's not at the level that would help Luke get noticed. Yeah. (laughs) Around the end of it, when she was sitting on the plane, I'm like, so like, she's what? Talentless and connected? Like, is that kind of Briar? uh, Briar, I guess is talentless and connected at this point. I mean, (sighs) she's a model she she was getting modeling contracts but i mean she she she's got a look and she's got a, a very good agent yes talentless and connected yeah but then there's the agent carrie fisher playing carrie so she didn't even have to learn a new name uh, how was carrie for you uh, carrie <laughs> it was <laughs> different spelling but that's okay it's how, all good how it's was good. carrie playing carrie for you carrie <laughs> She was fantastic. Oh, it was, again, it was just so nice to see her Mm -hmm. on screen. And I I had completely forgotten about her role in this because it was such a small yet such an important and intricate part in this movie. Yeah. It's also been years since I've watched this, so. I mean, there's the thing, right? Like, Carrie Fisher around that that era she was doing spots on like 30 rock and of course she was in uh jay and silent bob strike back and she was in fanboys right (laughs) so i mean like there's this wonderful part or era of carrie fisher's career where she's just taking these roles that are really genuinely sweet funny characters you gotta wonder if that was the connection because they were both both actresses were in fanboys so yeah, but Pell do you think James, this was a reprise? I, I don't think so. I think Pell James is just, you know, I mean, it was a small role in Fanboys. This is a, a straight up lead role there. So there's that. Um, I think it's just coincidence, really, to be honest. But I mean, the thing with, with Carrie, the agent, is 
you know, there's a real motherly almost protection of Briar. So you have to think, I'd be curious if in the, you know, the, the Briar's backstory, if Briar's mother was also a model or an actress and Carrie represented her. So now Carrie is representing Briar as a way to kind of help carry that legacy. There's so much more about that relationship that I want to know about. You're absolutely right. You know, and actually at first I thought maybe she was her mother and then it started to piece together very quickly. Like, no, no, no. No, yeah. but she, she does play that very motherly role. Um, and especially from the beginning where you see that Briar's got these gloves and she's met a guy and, yeah. you know, she realizes she may never meet him again. Yeah. I, it's just one of the things like, you know, where she's like, how are you doing? Right. And and Briar's like, you know, the, you know, just really hitting me that, you know, I, I, I don't have my mom around to talk about these things. So, you know, that it's a lot of backstory and like one phone conversation between the two characters, but I loved the dynamic between like, I know you're not the biggest Briar fan out of this film, but I do think the dynamic, the dynamic between Carrie and Briar is actually really sweet. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I didn't dislike her acting wise. Mm. I just disliked her character and I disliked again. It was that, pensive look that she had almost in every scene and maybe it's because she was acting as a model but it literally felt like she was posing that like I want to love this musician but I can't because he's a musician it's like okay you know the the way the way I look at that though is Carrie is sweet as the agent and but Carrie wouldn't be sweet to Briar. Briar wasn't sweet to begin with, yes. right? So so there's a there is redemption for Briar through Carrie and their relationship. Personal opinion. Uh, Fisher Stevens, of course, who played Garrett Schweck, the record agent for Tantra Records. <laughs> How was Fisher Stevens for you? You know, I kind of saw him as um um. The, the character in Formula 51. Okay. Where, you know, he was just kind of trying to do his job, you know, <laughs> but he was the swarthiest. <laughs> he was the swarthiest character, I think, in the entire movie. And that's kind of, that's, he, I mean, if, you know, slimy record executive is, is how he was trying to play it, he did it well. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a stereotype. Slightly yes. record exec. All right, go. Yeah. Um, the fact that Entourage came out in 2004, the series started, and you could almost see a lot of parallels between Ari and Garrett Schweck in that they're just quick talking and they only care about the artist and how it helps them and the record label. So, you know. But quick to drop them in a heartbeat. Oh God, yes. The only thing I'll, I'll sit there and say is like, there's the scene, and again, this is writing, this is not him, right? Is where they're sitting around in some weird chant circles like, Tantra, Tantra. It's like, what the f- are you doing <laughs> what seriously is, is this the, the how every board meeting goes you sit around going tantra tantra it's like the f- <laughs> oh it got weird it yeah. did get weird <laughs> um peter weller uh speaking of agents here peter weller who played wick treadway the you know the the agent that they got to do the uh what was it the the jp morgan walk around kind of thing um I'm just going to say this right now. Aside from, of course, Peter Weller being RoboCop, and you cannot take a look at that jaw and not see RoboCop, I cannot hear that man's voice now and not hear Batman. Because, of course, Peter Weller was Batman in the animated The Dark Knight Returns uh, Part 1 and 2. So how was Peter Weller for you? Oh, my God. He was so great. Like, I absolutely loved the airplane scene. He just made it happen. It, it just, I know he's having fun in the role as like Hawaiian shirt wearing, sunglass wearing, and you know, in the middle of the night. Kind of, it, it just seemed a little odd for Peter Weller. 
Yeah, but I think that was part of the the beauty of it. You know, I was getting some rock the cat rock the Casbah levels there, like Bill Murray's character in that. But it's just like it it also just seems like the perfect out because everyone gets the happy ending at the end. But that's just me. Um, and finally, Stephen Moyer, who played Mick, the cheating douchebag rock star that Briar is sort of seeing, sort of not seeing, sort of whatever. How was Okay, first of all, I will admit that the minute he shows up on screen, it's like, oh, Bill Compton, true blood, um, <laughs> and you're still pale. But how was Mick for you? You know what? I think they needed to introduce him or at least share the backstory of their relationship earlier in the movie. But they did Be- sort of. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I was just kind of like, really, dude, like, n- you're here now, like, yeah, where 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 the f- were you an hour ago? <laughs> I, I mean, there's the phone call. You know, the the hotel clerk is like, "Oh, he's a very handsome man." You know, and then the, the the phone picks up, and there's the girls, um, giggling and whatnot. So clearly, we know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the point where he's trying to figure out where Briar is, and Carrie Fisher is, you know, like I love that to, phone call, right? <laughs> but I mean, maybe it's just me, right? I, I think Stephen Moyer is a great actor. And I, as much as I enjoy Tanakh Huerta as, as Namor in Wakanda Forever, Stephen Moyer would have been a phenomenal Prince Namor. But that's just me. But anyways, regardless of, um, he just, he doesn't pull off smarmy well to me. And maybe it's because of the way Bill Compton is in this. I, I, if you're going to pull anyone out of True Blood, Alexander Skarsgård would have been better off to be a bit more smarmy. I think. You know what? I thought he was perfectly unlikable. <laughs> yeah. The character, not oh, Stephen yeah, Moyer no, he, himself. <laughs> <laughs> but he played it well. He made it happen. I was just like, yeah, no, she can do better. She really should know that she can do better. Yeah. You know, but no, she's hanging on to you. <laughs> like, Okay, so we've gone through the cast now. When we first saw this movie, like we first saw it kind of when it came out, not in theaters, um, clearly like everybody else. But, you know, we've got the DVD because, of course, you know, you were in Ashley Simpson at the time, so we got it. It was a decent movie at the time. But then how is it rewatching that film? And I'm doing the math here gonna feel old 18 years later since its release yikes <laughs> thanks for that mm-hmm. huh you know what um i would say it was still enjoyable to watch um withstood the the test of time like um i, I did mention earlier that i had an issue with um the cinematography on this one okay um that like and I know other movies are guilty of doing it as well, but other movies pull it off. This one literally gave me vertigo watching the spinning camera around the two actors in that mm. scene outside of the club. I was like, whoa, just stop this train. I want to get off. Right. Like, wow, stop the world from spinning. Um, and I think maybe it was the pacing they were going too fast or it just, it did not, I, I see what they were attempting to do, but it didn't fit the scene and it was just distracting. And I mean, knowing that it's a music video director at the helm, I mean, there are certain, certain things like, especially when, um, uh, when, when Clea is doing undiscovered on stage and you can see some of those, you know, uh, shallow depth of field rack focus shots of her close up on stage. It looks very much like a music video. Um, sometimes I don't know. Maybe it's, I mean, have I directed a couple of music videos? Yeah, sure. Nothing crazy, but they're there. I don't know. So I can't really speak to the mindset of someone going from music videos to filming a movie, but I wonder if it's hard for someone who has such a wide breadth of music video experience to switch that and go to a narrative kind of 
storytelling type thing. Yeah, it was almost kind of like, I can't remember if it was a YouTube video, but there is a music video that I can think of where the entire video is shot in spinning cameras on And given how many YouTube videos that that Meyer, or I can't remember his name now, uh, the director did, it could very well be he directed that one. It, it could be. Anyway, um, again, it was just, and it was just that one scene where I was just kind of like, Whoa! I am not liking this at all. <laughs> Meyer Avis, thats the that's the name of the director. But yeah, I mean, you you can go to music video heavy as far as your cinematography goes. I think in some parts this movie called for it. Um. Oh, the the scenes um with uh, his his brother's band. Mm-hmm. You know, those were fun. Oh, absolutely. Where they just yeah. made it look like an absolute rave. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was directed perfectly or shot perfectly. It was just like, yeah, again, that one scene stood out in my, in my mind. Okay. If we do not address this, then we have not done our job. What were your thoughts on the skateboarding dog? Oh, that's my MVP. I'm no. going to put it out right there. Wow. The dog wins. The crown. Uh, The dog takes it. Oh my God, it's a skateboarding, like, bulldog. He's so damn cute. Oh, he is the freaking cutest. Don't tell our dog that we said that, but he's the freaking cutest. (laughs) Can we just hook them up? (laughs) I don't know how that would look in the aftermath. (laughs) Probably cute as hell, but still, regardless of, um, it felt... I mean, I mean, I yes, he's cute. Yes, it's fun to have him there. But did it feel shoehorned into the story for cuteness sake? No, because he took off when when Luke had to like run down the wearing the bed sheet. Yeah, the the, the street after his dog. I loved it. <laughs> I, I I I will say it to me. It felt like okay. We need to add like it almost felt like the like the skateboarding dog was there to make Luke likable. I don't know, because I mean, you know, the brother eventually took care of the dog, and I think the brother was incredibly likable. So, yeah, but it's not. But the dog was so cute. Ewan's dog. It's Luke's dog, though. Skateboarding dog. (laughs) And actually, though, um, real like legit, that is a skateboarding dog. He was made famous before this movie. Yeah. Um, that was his rise to fame. Was that. He was a skateboarding dog. I forget. Was it a commercial that he was in Pepsi? I want to say I could be wrong. It's quite possible. I, I didn't really do too much research into the skateboarding dog except for that, the fact that he was there. Oh, I loved him. And he's your MVP. MVP. <laughs> MVP. Skateboarding dog. Okay. Mad respect. Well, since you've already dropped your MVP, yep. I guess it is time to finally lay it on the line for myself. You stole my thunder. I was actually waiting to, uh, you were in to drop some bombs there. Yeah. Well, we couldn't just not talk about it until the end. Well. But probably no surprise here. My MVP is actually Ashley Simpson in this. Wow. You thought I was going to say Carrie Fisher, didn't I you? I did. Carrie Fisher was a very close second on this one. But I mean. Shocked. I, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. And, you know, if you've made it this far into the podcast, A, thank you. But B, um. When we do this show, you know, I I fully admit that we kind of rip apart these movies at the beginning of the show. So if you're if you're tuning in and saying, "Oh, it's not that bad," but they're kind of on the film, we'll give it a little bit. We're gonna get there. <laughs> Wait for it. We're just warming up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're putting all the good stuff at the back end there. You can skip ahead twenty minutes there every every podcast, but you're gonna miss some fun stuff at the front. But the, here's the thing, right? I get that Ashley Simpson got ripped on really around this time like from 2005 to or 2004 to 2006 um she was getting like the nickelback treatment and let's be honest what artist doesn't lip sync their performance well i mean there's a big- i mean okay many don't but yeah. um many do but i mean the thing is she was told uh well she was advised apparently to not sing on saturday night live because of acid reflux 
So, you know, I would rather see Ashley Simpson lip sync on Saturday Night Live than see her throw up on Saturday Night Live. I think she chose the right thing. And it's not her fault that the backing track messed up, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like she's Millie Vanilli. She, you know, wrote some of those songs. Like, she sang those songs. Like, she's a good singer. That's the thing. Yeah. like, legit, she, I think actually is my favorite Simpson as far as vocals. Mm-hmm. She's far more talented vocally. Yeah. Um, her her songs, I think, were better than Jessica's. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, again, like, I, I do admit that Undiscovered might be the one song, like, if I had to put anything on a mixtape and, and she had to be on it, it's going to be Undiscovered. I'll tell it right now. But, like, even... You know, because there, there were a lot of albums at that time. Like Kelly Osbourne's first CD actually had some decent bangers on it. Brooke Hogan? Uh, no, I'm not. No, I cannot agree with you with Brooke Hogan. Oh, come that, on. No, Paris no. Hilton? Stars was actually, or Stars Are Blind or whatever Stars the song was blind. called. Um, that's a decent enough song. But I mean, you know, Ashley Simpson put out some really good CDs. Right, say what you will about them, but they were very good CDs. She just, she, it, she, it, it, honestly, she got like the Nickelback treatment, and it's not fair. It really isn't fair, and I think her performance in this movie probably got panned because of who she was and everything else around, and not, and have nothing to do with the movie itself. Is the is the movie great? That's up, up for debate. It's definitely not an 8% critic score film, so the critics can go suck it. No, and I think, too, that, I mean, you have to just know that, and, and you kind of got a lot of it in watching the Ashley Simpson show, is that she was the sister in the shadows of her incredibly famous and, you know, let's put it out there, married into a famous, mm-hmm. you know, um, situation. I mean, there was the, the, the newlywed show, right? Yeah. So that took off. And then here is Ashley, like literally in the shadows, probably for the most of her part of her life. Um, yeah, had the better albums. And and has the better voice. And, and, you know, Undiscovered has to be so incredibly, I'm just guessing, I don't know the girl, but probably really personal you know, for her. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe that's a, a big part of why I'm rooting for her and why I really wanted to see this movie. Not that it's a great movie, full of cliches, you know. Oh, it's um, it's been done before and it's been done better, but her role in this holds... like Was I, solid, yeah. Yeah, I would much rather hear more about the relationship between Briar and her agent Carrie. Uh, I'd love to see what... Like, if ever... If ever there is an undiscovered two, I want nothing to do with Luke Falcon or Briar at all. I want this to be about Clea and how she's, you know, her songs are getting heard. Let's just call it discovered. Right? (laughs) Make it happen. Make it happen. Stardom. Ashley Simpson gets another chance. And the funny thing is, if you find that video of her jumping on stage with Demi Lovato and the reaction from the crowd, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. They ate it up. When was that? How? What year? A couple of months ago, actually. Months. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's not that long ago. So. So there might be a comeback. I, you know what? If ever there was, it's well deserved. It's well deserved, and I have a feeling it'd be one of those things where, if you know, yeah. She does put out another album. Well, her, her, she had kids. Her kids are getting older now, so uh, yeah, yeah. Now that you know, like, sh- yeah, I, you know what, I'm rooting for your girl. All right, Ashley Simpson. If you decide to do Undiscovered Two, um, a, you're welcome. But B, um, I guarantee you, it will be much better received. And I'm also taking applications for incredibly supportive and adorable best friends. So, <laughs> Ashley, give me a call because... Already named Carrie, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my Carrie, thank you for joining me on this one. And to you, our listeners, thank you. Now, 
you guys know the drill. If you think there, there is a movie out there that is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NotThatBadCast or go to our brand spanking new website at www.NotThatBadCast.com. Uh, let us know and we will watch that movie. We will dissect that movie and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades and B movies. Until next time, I'm Jay. She's Carrie. Ashley, make another album. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.